Well, good morning. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 12. We're going to be looking at Romans 12, verses 3 through 8 today. Um, last week, we finally made it to chapter 12 in Romans, and it's, uh, it's a, almost like a turning point in the book of Romans. For, for 11 chapters, Paul has been unpacking the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that God justifies the ungodly through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and now, after having spent uh, so many chapters unfolding the, the beauty of, of the gospel, Paul turns his attention to how Christians ought to live in light of that gospel. And he often does this in his letters. He, he states up front the, the truths of the gospel, the indicatives of the gospel, and then in light of that turns to how we ought to respond, how we ought to live. And, and we saw last week the introduction to the chapter, verses 1 and 2, that uh, we are new people in Christ. God has begun a, a, a work of transformation and renewal in us, and, and now we offer our whole selves to him, all that we are, all that we have. Uh, Paul uses the language of uh, living sacrifices. We are people, individually and a community, who, who worship and serve um, our God in all of life. And, and now, beginning in, in the passage we're looking at today, and as we'll look at um, in turn, in the rest of the chapters, um, Paul turns his attention to what does that look like? What does it look like to, to be a living sacrifice? And he kind of addresses three different dimensions. Personally, what does that mean for me and how I view myself? Um, corporately, what does that mean for participation in the life of the church? And then even missionally, what does it mean for us to be living sacrifices as we um, relate to people outside of the church as we relate to the world. And so Paul begins to um, unpack that today, some of the personal and and corporate dimensions of what it means to be a living sacrifice. And uh, I'm going to read our passage for us, Romans 12, verses 3 to 8. That's page 948 in the Pew Bibles. If you want to follow along there, it's also printed in your bulletin. So let's, let's listen to God's Word, Romans chapter 12 beginning in verse 3. Paul says to the church, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So, in, in light of the gospel, in light of this transforming and renewing work that God is doing in us, how should we now live? And we're, we're going to see three things here in this passage. Number one, how to think about yourself. Um, number two, why think this way. And then number three, what to do now. So how to think about yourself, why you should think this way, and then finally, what to do now, let me pray for us one more time as we come to God's Word. 
Our Father in heaven, we do ask for your help as we come to um, your word here in Romans 12. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear wonderful things from your word? Would you help us to understand and to live out the, the implications of this wonderful gospel that we believe and confess? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, first, how to think about yourself. And the, the gospel gives us a new perspective. A new perspective, uh, a new way of thinking about ourselves, about others, about uh, what it means for how we're to relate to other people. And in verse 3, Paul lays down a, a basic principle. He says, don't think too highly of yourself, and, and really don't think too poorly of yourself. In other words, think accurately about yourself. And, and what he says here in, in verse 3, it really challenges ideas that both Christians and non-Christians have about self, how we ought to view ourselves. And so he says, first, negatively, don't think too highly of yourself. In other words, uh, don't be high-minded. Beware of the danger of, of having a big head, being full of yourself, um, maybe for, for something you have or something you are. It's a, it's a warning about pride or what used to be called hubris, just this arrogance about ourselves. And, and notice he says there in verse 3 um, that he's speaking to everyone among you. Now, we're going to see in later chapters, there's some specific groups that seem to have a problem with, with a, a superiority complex, but, but Paul's saying, look, all of us, all believers, this is something we all need to hear. Um, some might struggle more than others with this, but it's a danger for every one of us. And, and there could be all kinds of reasons why we might get a big head. I mean, you know how it goes. Um, education or, or intellect, um, success in your career or how you've performed um, academically or in, in sports. It could be you know, the life choices you made. You compare yourself to some of these other people and you think, I've, I've made wiser decisions. I've made better use of, of my time than these other folks. Um, religious pride is, is one that, that often um, stalks us as Christians. You, re, you remember the uh, parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and the Pharisee sees the tax collector and it says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. We can often be um, thinking too highly of ourselves as, as Christians. It, it could be any number of reasons, but, but here's the thing. We tend to exaggerate our qualities and downplay our shortcomings and magnify other people's failures, right? I mean, that's how it goes. But the, the gospel teaches us a, a new way of thinking, a new way to see ourselves. And so Paul says negatively, don't be high-minded, but positively, think rightly about yourself. He says, think with sober judgment, which might not be the best translation. Paul's getting at, think sensibly, think reasonably or accurately about yourself. And notice, he doesn't say, despise yourself. He doesn't say, Always think poorly of your gifts and themselves. And so we're, we're constantly criticizing ourselves, fixating on our failure to view ourselves. You know, as a, simply as a human being, you have worth and dignity and value, an accurate view 
of yourself. Use sound judgment. Honest perspective on ourselves. One that avoids those, those dual distortions. Pride on the one hand and then self-absorbed negativity. Um, some Christians have lots of faith, other Christians maybe not so much, and you should measure yourself based on that criteria. Criteria, You know, it's kind of like um, God gives every Christian uh, differing degrees of, uh, of faith. You know, you think of each Christian as a one-gallon milk jug, and, and God fills that, that jug up for some of us and others of us. The, the, the problem is that's not how Paul talks about faith in the book of Romans. Um, throughout Romans, he, he talks about faith as the basic Christian response to the gospel. You either have faith in Jesus Christ, and you've been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, or you don't have faith. Measure is not about quantity, but about it's the idea of a standard. The saving faith in Jesus Christ is the measuring stick. That's the lens through which we ought to see ourselves and each other. You know, despite our different backgrounds, despite our different um, personalities and abilities and so forth, and, and all that distinguishes us from others, we've all been saved in Christ and we're all saved in the same way by Christ, through faith in Him. And so Paul's saying, that's how we should see ourselves, as somebody in Christ. That's how we should see our fellow believers, as people in Christ. Several years ago, there were some uh, researchers north of us at UC Riverside, and they did a study on humility. Um, kind of a you know big topic. What is humility? And in particular, they were trying to see if they could discover what the hallmarks of humility are. And and they came up with a list of five. And and two of them are just it's almost like they were reading the book of Romans. Um, one they said was to the ability to see oneself honestly without distortion. That's a, a key hallmark of of humility. And two. Not just the ability to see yourself accurately and honestly, but having a being secure in one's identity. And, and that's exactly what Paul is talking about here in Romans. The, the gospel enables us to see ourselves clearly, and the gospel also gives us a secure identity. I mean, the, the gospel, as Paul's been unpacking it, says, You and I are, are sinful, we're broken. We're flawed. We're worse than we even care to admit. Um, there's no basis for pride. There's no basis for having a, a big head. You, you remember Romans 3.23. All have sinned. All have fallen short of God's glory. Sin has this leveling effect. Um, we're no better than anyone else. And, and the gospel shows us the truth. Our identity in Christ. It, it says that Despite our sin, despite our brokenness, God loves us, welcomes us, and accepts us because of Christ, because of what he has done. Our standing with God isn't based on uh, being superior to others, being more moral than someone else, or performing better. It's about Christ. It's about his grace and, and that standing. This is your, your new identity in Christ. If you are a Christian man or woman, you are an in Christ person. 
That is your fundamental identity, the most important thing about you, and and that doesn't change. That's a, a secure identity. You remember Romans 8, nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ. This is an identity that you didn't build for yourself. Uh, This is an identity you received freely as a gift. And that gospel identity, who we are in Christ and because of Christ, it's a a pride killer. It it kills pride and it enables you to cultivate humility. You you know what's often at the root of pride is, is a sense of inadequacy. You know, typically the the most proud, arrogant, big-headed people are the most insecure. And all that pride and and boasting and and belittling of others is is a mask to try to hide their sense that they don't measure up, that they're not enough, that that they're not um, who they really are trying to portray themselves as. And the gospel frees us to say, yeah, I I don't measure up. I mean, that's no surprise. I don't measure up, but God accepts me in Christ. And and so I I don't have to posture. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to uh, make everyone else believe that I am superior and they are inferior. I can be honest with God because my failures and, and weaknesses don't threaten my identity. They, they don't call into question who I am in Christ. And I, I can be honest with God. I can be honest with my Christian friends about who I really am. I don't need to pretend to be someone I am not. I, I can think accurately and soberly about myself. And so let me ask you, do you know who you are in Christ? Is that, that in Christ identity, is that shaping how you think about yourself, how you view yourself, and not only yourself, but how you, you view others? So Paul shows us here, in light of the gospel, how to think about yourself. But second, he goes on to describe why you ought to think this way, why you should think this way. And he says in verses 4 and 5, maybe a little surprisingly, He says, you ought to think this way because you belong to the body of Christ. Um, We're we're not competing with each other. We're we're not in a contest to prove who is superior. All of us belong to the same body. We're we're vitally connected um, to each other, with each other. We need each other. We belong to each other. Um, the, the church as the body of Christ, very familiar um, metaphor, right? Very familiar um, picture, and Paul uses it here. He uses it in 1 Corinthians 12, like we heard earlier, um, elsewhere in Ephesians, Colossians. Um, it's a very powerful picture for the, the nature of the church. And, and here in Romans 12, it, this metaphor, the church as the body of Christ, it highlights two key truths about the church. Um, it's, uh, it's diversity, and second, it's unity. Uh, first, the church's diversity. Paul says, verse 4, you know, a, a human body has many members. You know, the, the old uh, soap company used to tell us there are 2,000 parts. I'm sure there's more than that. I think um, there's something like 79 or 80 different organs that make up the body. The, the human body has many members, and they have different functions. And Paul says in verse 5, likewise, the church is, has many 
members. We're not all the same. Um, we, we don't have the same backgrounds. We, we have different personalities, um, different life experiences, different perspectives, um, different gifts and abilities. And Paul's going to talk about that later in the passage. Um, I've seen some of you at wedding receptions, and I know that some of you can really dance. Um, some of you can't, and I know that because I was sitting with you at the tables um, you know, some of you are especially gifted at this. And, and, you know, if our church took the approach of settling conflicts by, by having um, dance battles, you want um, Patty Maxim on your team. I mean, she's going to win. Some, uh, we're, we're different. We're gifted differently. And, and diversity is God's design for the church. It, it promotes the health and the wholeness of the church. I mean, you imagine a human body that, that consisted only of eyes. It would not only be a, a grotesque thing, um, it would be incredibly unhealthy, even useless. Um, we need diversity of, of insights and abilities and passions in the church. And God created each of you to be unique people. He gave you um, particular strengths, particular um, abilities, and, and he gives you a, a particular role to play in the life of this church. Um, you know, monocultures, monochurch cultures, where every, everybody's the same, everybody thinks the same, everybody does the same thing, they're, they're weak. Um, diversity makes us stronger. And so this, this image, this metaphor of the, the church as the body speaks to the church's diversity, but also to the church's unity. We're, we're different, but we are, Paul says in verse 5, one body in Christ. And so he, he holds together what seems to us two um, contradictory ideas. On, on the one hand, the many, and on the other hand, the one. And, and this body metaphor brings them both together. Um, unity is is difficult, right? I mean, on the one hand, we are, we're fundamentally one as, as believers in Christ. Theologically, it's true of us, but, but boots on the ground, it's difficult to, to experience unity in diversity, right? It's not always easy. Um, diversity brings with it some level of tension, maybe even the potential for conflict. Um, you know, you have people with different perspectives, different passions, and they're going to look at problems differently. You know, a, a problem that's kind of always plagued us as a church is we don't um, really connect with our neighborhood. There's, there's really no one from the, the immediate neighborhood who calls GBC home. And if, if we were to do a survey among us of why do you think that is, I mean, one person's going to say, well, we don't, we don't care about evangelism, and we need to get our acts together and, and really get out there and, and preach the gospel. And, and someone else is going to say, no, what, the problem is we're not welcoming enough, and, and we need to learn to, to be hospitable and, and friendly. And somebody else is going to say, no, neither of those is the reason. We're just not organized enough. We need to develop... Um, programs and we need to to be you know efficient in how we do things and and in part each of those answers might might be partly true there might be you know a, a grain of truth to each of those ideas but 
But each of those people probably thinks the others have no idea what they're talking about. And, and that's because God has made us diverse, and yet he's put us in the same body. Um, uniformity is more comfortable, right? I mean, um, you know, if all of us probably have a preferred personality type, and it, it typically is the one that we have, and we think... Um, you know, if, if everyone thought like me, if everyone acted like me and had the same abilities, we would get along so much better. And church would just run so smoothly. Um, I can tell you it wouldn't. I mean, sometimes I can't even stand myself. I wouldn't want to be a part of a church where we're all just clones of Ryan Wenzel. I mean, that, that would be a miserable place. It's a, it's a recipe for disaster. Um, how can we cultivate unity in diversity? I mean, it, it's true by the very nature of things that we are one in Christ, even though we're different, but, but boots on the ground, how can we cultivate it? And the answer is there in the, the last part of verse 5. Paul says that we're many but one body in Christ, and we are individually members of one another. Individually members of one another. The the secret to unity and diversity is recognizing our interdependence. Recognizing that we belong to Christ, we belong to Christ's body, and that means we also belong to each other. We're, we're interconnected, we're, we're interdependent. Um, some of you probably remember watching um, the TV show, The, the Adams Family. Do you, do you remember? I, I used to watch it in reruns. It was before my time. But, you know, you've got this family full of very odd characters. And do you remember um, the, the character Thing? Uh, his full name was Thing T. Thing. And, and he's just this disembodied hand. And, you know, walks around just with the fingers, um, you know, uh, thing was self-sufficient, didn't need a full body to function properly, didn't need the body, but that's not how it works in, in the church. Um, we need each other. Uh, we depend on each other. No single believer here has all the gifts necessary to, to produce a healthy, functioning, God-glorifying church. God has distributed his gifts among all his people, different gifts, and we're going to talk about that more in a bit, but, but no one single person here has all the gifts. We, we need each other. You know, how different would your experience of church life be if, if you recognized your need for, for the other people in this room? If, if instead of being frustrated by the differences, why, why can't that person just be more like whatever. Instead of being frustrated, you, you cultivated appreciation for the, the unique ways God has fashioned that person, the, the unique person God has created them to be. What if instead of you know, complaining about others because they don't think the way you do, um, criticizing them because they don't do the kinds of things you do, what if you, what if you commended them? What if you honored them for the, the unique contributions they make to this church. And Paul's going to talk about honoring each other later. But, you know, having a big head, 
Treating other believers as inferior is, is off limits because Paul says we're all part of something bigger than ourselves. God has placed us in this thing called the body of Christ. And it's, it's wonderful, it's, it's messy at times, but, but none of us stand alone. We're connected to each other. We need each other. All, everyone belong to the same body of Christ with all its diversity. And so Paul tells us how to think about ourselves first. Second, he tells us why we ought to think this way. And then third, he tells us what to do now in light of that. Verses 6 to 8, Paul talks about spiritual gifts here in verses 6 to 8. And he says to do two things. Um, What should you do in, in light of the fact that you belong to the body of Christ? Number one, recognize that God has given each of you gifts. And then second, focus on using your particular gifts well. So Paul says, recognize, God has given each of you gifts. Uh, In verse 6, he talks about them. uh, He says, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. God has given us grace gifts. Um, His grace not only saves us from our sins, it it equips and empowers us for service in the church. Um, What is a spiritual gift? And I'm going to give you like a 30-second, not even a 30-second overview of spiritual gifts. They, uh, you know, the list Paul gives here in these verses, it's not exhaustive, it's illustrative. You can find different lists in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and, and elsewhere. Um, uh, you know, a simple definition of spiritual gifts is that they're God-given skills and abilities to meet needs and build up the church. And there's more that could be said, but God-given abilities to meet needs and build up the church. And, and Paul says God has given every believer gifts. Not, not just some, not just the paid ministry staff, not the, the leaders of the church, but every believer, men and women, young and old, um, introverts, extroverts, um, every believer, and that means every one of you here who are in Christ, God has given you gifts for meeting needs and serving the church. And, and not only has God given every believer gifts, he gives different gifts to every believer. Paul says we, we all have gifts that are sourced in, in God's grace, but they differ. They're, they're different. Um, you know, God has uniquely equipped each of you to contribute to the life of Grace Bible Church. And yeah, there may be overlap between um, people's gifts, but, but each of you has a, a particular function a particular contribution to make. Um, Every gift matters, and and Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 12, right? Um, You know, the hand can't say to some other part of the body, well, you don't matter, Uh, we don't need you. Every gift matters. Each gifted person is, is valuable and necessary for the church to flourish. And, and because God has given you gifts... He expects you to use them. He, he doesn't give gifts so that they can just sit on the shelf and, and collect dust. He's given you gifts, and he expects you to, to use them. Um, you know that I like basketball. I watch a lot of NBA basketball. And at an NBA basketball game, there's a handful of players on the court 
um, competing against each other, and there's thousands and even tens of thousands of spectators sitting there watching. And, and many Christians are content just to be spectators. You know, they, they see church and participation in, in the life of the church as, you know, it's an event you show up to, and you kind of watch the players do their thing, and you receive some input, and then you, you go about your life. And, and Paul here in his discussion of spiritual gifts, he's saying, each of you is a player on the team. Each of you ha- wears the team jersey. You have a role to play. Um, there should be no idle members in the church. Um, what's the point of having gifts if you don't use them to serve others? Paul says in Ephesians 4 that as, as every member does their part, the body builds itself up in love. The body grows healthy and strong. And so Paul is, is saying here, look, don't be a spectator, be a participant. Uh, don't just be a consumer of spiritual goods, be a contributor to the life of the church. And so the first thing Paul says here about gifts is recognize that God has gifted you, but second, he says, focus on using your particular gifts well. I'm not going to spend time on each of the gifts that he lists here in these verses, um, but you can see some of them are are speaking gifts. You have prophecy, teaching, exhortation. Some of them are are serving gifts. He talks explicitly about serving. Some of them are are care gifts, showing mercy and and so forth. And and Paul's point here is not to just give you a, a list of gifts. He's He's saying whatever your particular gift is, Use it and use it well. Do it with all the energy you've got. You know, throw yourself into your gift, whatever it is. If, if your gift is prophecy, and, and I'm not going to talk about it, but use it in proportion to our faith, he says, or probably better in agreement with the faith. If your gift is serving, then serve. If your gift is giving, then give. Whatever your gift is, throw yourself into it. You know, I, I, often we can get caught up in worrying about the gifts we don't have, right? We look around at other believers in the church and we admire the contributions they make and the, the gifts that they have, and we think, if I just had that gift, oh, I, I'd be able to be so much more effective in the church. And, and Paul's saying here, don't let that bother you. <laughs> God's given you a particular gift and give yourself to it. And, and, Focus on the gifts he has given you, not the ones he has not given you. And this is really freeing. Paul's saying, get comfortable in your own shoes. Stop, stop trying to put, you know, play dress up and, and be somebody else. Just be comfortable being the person God has made you to be in Christ. If, if you're a foot, be a foot to the glory of God. If you're a hand, be a hand to the glory of God. If you're an armpit, be the best armpit you can be. Um, do what God has gifted you to do. And, and what happens you know, when you try to be someone God hasn't created you to be? You know, you're, you're that foot, but you really wish you could be the hand, and you try to be the hand. And it's frustrating, right? Because if you're a foot, you can't be a hand. It's just not going to work out. Um, it, it's It leads to fruitlessness, right? Um, being burned out because you're just expending energy on something that God hasn't gifted you to do. And, and more than that, the body 
is deprived of your unique gifts and contributions. And so let me just ask you a few questions here. Um, do you know what your gifts are? You know, Paul says God has given every believer gifts. Uh, every believer, do you know what your gifts are? And if not, what, what do you do? And, and I, don't, I can't spend lots of time on this, but just a, a couple suggestions. Pray. Just ask God, God, show me how you've gifted me. Make it clear to me how you want me to function in the life of this church. Um, evaluate. You know, what do I enjoy doing? What am I good at? Um, what ways have I served already in the, in the church? And talk to others. You know, go, go to some, get feedback from some people who know you well and can tell you, yep, you know, you excel at whatever it is. Um, and then finally, just do something. You know, volunteer, try something out, see how it goes. Did it work well? Keep doing it. Did it not go well? Well, then adjust. Um, figure out what your gifts are. Uh, second question, are you using your gifts to serve this church? And, and if not, why not? And, and I'm not trying to guilt trip you here, okay? I, I'm not trying to just, you know, uh, whip you into shape. We got, we got to get moving. Um, I'm trying to help you be honest with yourself. I, I, I want you to thrive in, in life here at Grace Bible Church, and, and that's going to happen by exercising your gifts. So if you're, if you're not, why? Have you adopted that spectator mentality? Um, you know, you, you want the benefits of membership in the body of Christ without the responsibilities of membership in the body of Christ. Or, or maybe you're not thinking about ministry rightly. Maybe you're thinking, well, serving in the church or doing ministry in the church is what the, the people up front do. It, it's what the elders do. It, it's what the paid people do. Um, or you think your gifts don't matter. Uh, Paul's saying the, the body cannot function without you, whatever your gifts are. Um, <clears throat> in, in my years of being a pastor, you know, I've often talked with people who have Say, said that they want to leave the church because um, they just don't feel connected. They don't feel like they're important. They don't feel like people care about them. And, you know, in talking with them, trying to understand what's, what's really going on, it, it often becomes clear that they're not participating in the life of the church. And as a result, they feel disconnected from the life of the church. And Look, if you're just watching from the stands, you're going to feel disconnected. If you're not participating in this thing, the, this living body of Christ, you're going to feel um, unimportant. Um, spiritual life and vitality and, and meaningful relationships come from participating in the life of the church, from exercising your gifts. And then last question, what season of life are you in? Um, participation in the, in the church, exercising your gifts for the good of the church, it's going to look different at different stages of life. You know, if uh, a new mom caring for an infant child is going to have different availability, um, even energy, um, it, what it's going to look like for her to exercise her gifts will look different than it will for a, a single career person or, or a student or somebody caring for a, a sick family member or, or just someone who's simply getting older. We're talking about that in Discipleship Hour, right? We, we grow old and 
maybe you don't have the same energy that you once had. Um, you know, do what you can. Don't fixate on what you can't do. And, and certain seasons of the Christian life are, are more about receiving. I, I know I criticized, you know, just a, a spectator mentality, but just being in a season of life where God has put you in a position, position to receive, that's not being a spectator. That's just recognizing God's providence in your life. This is what he has for you right now. Others are using their gifts. They're getting the benefit of being useful, of ministering to you. And just embrace it. You know, we have a hard time being on the receiving end of help, right? Um, we want to be doers. We want to be contributors. But sometimes God just has us in a position to be receivers. And, you know, realize... You are justified by faith in Christ, not by how busy you are in the life of the church. As much as I want you all to be active and engaged and participants, we're not justified before God because we, we work so hard. It's, it's a privilege to use our gifts in the church. And so, final thought here. Um, you know, our mission statement as a church, it, it, it's... We say that we're striving to be a gospel-centered community. That's what we want to be, a gospel-centered community. And, and part of what that means is we celebrate um, God's grace in the gospel, the, the grace that forgives our sins, the grace that justifies us. But that's not all. That, that's not the, the sum of what it means to be a gospel-centered church. A gospel-centered church celebrates God's grace in the gospel that saves. It also celebrates God's grace in the gospel that gifts and empowers His people to do ministry, to serve in the life of the church. And what, what I'm asking you today to do is to embrace both the, the privileges and the responsibilities that, that the gospel gives to us. You know, pray for our church. Let me, let me ask you, this is something you can add to your prayer life. Pray for our church that, that we would be a church that's not just spectators, but, but active participants in what God is doing here at Grace Bible Church. And, and pray for yourself. Pray that, that God would would show you what it means for you to be a, a engaged member here at Grace Bible Church. Because God's Word says, as, as each of us who has been gifted by God through Christ, as each of us exercises our gifts, the body grows strong. The body grows healthy. The body flourishes to the glory of God. So let me pray for us. Our God and Father, um, would you help each of us to, to know um, who we are and what we're for in the body of Christ? Would you help each of us to, to figure out uh, where, we can, where we can contribute, how we can um, work out the grace that you've given us, and, and that you would cause Grace Bible Church to, to continue to grow? healthy and strong because of it, that as each of us um, is, is engaged and, and participating in the ways that you give us and in the, the times that you allow, that it would be a beautiful thing here.
Uh, we pray for clarity, Lord, and, and energy and motivation and, and follow through. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.